Hello everyone. Welcome to Desk Doodles episode 12. I'm your host Sapna Malhotra. As a kid, I remember I was scared of math. Every time I had to take a math test or an exam, I used to get nightmares. I would be on the edge till the result came out. I would slog, I would really work hard and somehow get by. But it was totally different story when it came to sciences or languages i loved them i enjoyed them and that got me thinking that what is it that some of us find certain things so easy and some things always remain very difficult for some of us learning a piece of music is a piece of cake for some of us creating a painting is as easy as that for others a math problem a physics problem or a science concept some things just come naturally to us i think we are all very different we have different skin color hair color eye color and the main thing that is different is the way our brain functions it is unique to us it's unique like a fingerprint the way we understand interpret and express things is so individual to us and that uniqueness of our brain function manifests itself in our personality in our tastes in our likes dislikes in our strengths and also in our weaknesses and we all have our bunch of strengths and weaknesses and sometimes those weaknesses become stronger than our strengths sometimes we need extra help and support to overcome those weaknesses and bring our strengths up Today on Desk Doodles, we have two amazing guests. They are experts in their fields, and we're going to talk a lot about how we can, uh, you know, bring up our strengths and overcome those difficulties or challenges that we face. Welcome to Desk Doodles, Nana and Dr. Vasudha. Thank you. It's a so, pleasure to be here. Same here. Such a uh, delight to have both of you here. Uh, Dr. Vasudha uh, is joining us from Chennai. Dr. Vasudha Prakash. She is the founder director of VXL uh, Educational Trust there, which is a an organization which uh, has schools for special needs kids, and she's been a uh, special educator for past twenty six years now. And uh, my second guest is Dr. is uh, Naina Karausikar, and uh, she has been an educator for the past ten years. she is a special educator for the past 5 years now she is working with uh, bethany high school in bangalore welcome to the students once again thank, thank you sapna thank you sapna so i come to you dr vasudha tell us a little bit about your journey um, how you came about to be there where you are right now okay uh, i'll be as brief as possible because i'm old enough to have a very long story uh, so <laughs> I started my career as a clinical psychologist and uh, I used to work with children and adults alike in India uh, then um, after I got married I moved to Saudi Arabia uh, Saudi Arabia at that time was quite a restricted country but I got to work in the Indian embassy school where I used to work uh, with the primary grades and work with children who had some learning problems as well so I think that was a seed of uh, seed was sown in Saudi Arabia and i also liked early childhood education when i worked over there then uh, from saudi arabia we moved to the us and the us i although i chose to be in the education field rather than the psychology field and instead of psychology i moved into educational management but by some recommendations and after reading up i moved to special education i really don't know why that happened i'm i think it was, there was a hand of destiny in that whole the way that transition happened and i got a doctorate in special education from rutgers university and that was a very illuminating journey because i got to visit so many schools over there and i used to be a supervisor for interns i had a big body of work right there 
And I worked in um, one of the schools, urban schools, which is called Newark Public Schools. It was predominantly a lower income group, socioeconomic class, and with a lot of African Americans, a lot of people with challenges, so exposed me to a lot of learning problems and environmental problems, which contributed to learning difficulties. And um, from there, worked as a professor, an assistant professor on the tenure track at Kane University. And while I was working there, anyway, I had, um, you know, when you submit your statement of purpose, when you enroll for a PhD program, you have to write uh, about what you want to do. And my statement of purpose, I had written that I'd like to come to India and work with in the education field over here. And, um, I, and that's what I, exactly what I did. I moved back to India. Now it's almost 20 years. Uh, came to Chennai, although I hailed from Mumbai, my family had moved to Chennai by then. So I again feel that it's, uh, it was just destined to happen. Moved to Chennai and started with just about 11 children, uh, Center for, for, for Cognitive Disabilities and Development Disabled, uh, VXL Educational Trust in a small place in, in the sub, in one of the areas here in Chennai. But within, within the year was out, we had 65 children. And by three years, we had about 200 children. Like it was just the need was so great by, by that yeah. time that many people, it, it just grew very organically and seamlessly. So we started a school, but then we then started an early intervention, then a pre-vocational and a vocational. And uh, we have a farm, we have an employment sector and a placement division. And now we have about 13, 14 schools actually. Uh, wow. Two of them in Maharashtra uh, with branches, even in Sholapur, Nasik and some here in the south, in Tamil Nadu. And we work with uh, cognitive disabilities and also uh, physically challenged if they have cognitive disabilities. So when you talk about that, we, we have um, autism, Asperger's syndrome, learning disabilities, attention deficit disorder, and so on. And we also work with inclusion. So this is uh, how it all started. And yes, now in we fact, are your colleague uh, Geeta was with us a few weeks back uh, when we yeah. had a talk about children on autism spectrum disorder, yes. And yeah, even yeah. Neha and Pooja were there. Right? Pooja, yeah, they are really the experts. <laughs> yes. So coming to you, uh, Nena, uh, how has your journey been? So let me first thank you for having me on your show. And it's my absolute honor and pleasure to get to be on the same panel as Dr. Vasudha. So I am super thrilled. <laughs> Well, my story is uh, also quite unique, you know, when you say, I mean, how did I land up here? So <clears throat> I was a hands-on mother and I'm very proud that's the primary job. So for a good 15 years, and you know me, I mean, we were all together. So 15 years, I was completely a homemaker and a hands-on mother, uh, but relocated a couple of times and it by chance, I got to work in Kumon in US, in Dallas, when I was there. And that was my first role on the other side, okay? So uh, then, you know, I realized that it's, it's something else to be on the other side and, and as a mother and as a teacher. So, you know, my colleagues would give me the, I'm, of course I was not trained. I'm not trained to be a teacher then. So, you know, I mean, that's where people started telling me those small, small things, which I attribute my journey to those inputs, which different people gave me at different times. So one thing led to the other. And I worked in an alternative school for very long, for four years. And uh, that influence is very strong on me. And uh, there I realized that uh, I don't have the skills, you know, whatever I'm doing, I'm, I'm lacking, you know, I need to do more, I need to do more. So you know, that's how I went into the studying about special education and one thing led to the other. And uh, I make it a point that I continue my exploration on the sides. Okay, so, so that is what I really love. You know, I mean, uh, teaching is just the front end of it. The back end part is so huge and it, it just, it just not how much ever you do, it's not enough. So then uh, again, by chance, got into Bethany, a friend of mine. Uh, again, I mean, many people have influenced and where I land is, I mean, because of them. So the last five years, now this is the fifth year uh, with Bethany and 
I mean, that's the story. And I'm very happy. So uh, as a special educator, I guess uh, my degrees are in commerce. I intended to be a homemaker, but <laughs> ended up being a special educator. Yeah. So, and I'm so glad for the journey. And I'm so happy to have the both of you here because both your stories are so inspiring and uh, so beautiful uh, a journey for both of you. And, uh, you know, like uh, Vasudha, you also said, and you, uh, Nana, also said that it was just destined for you to be where you are. And you seem so in such a happy place to be, right? So uh, let's, let's uh, you know, jump into our... Uh, conversation today and I'm going to bring out the big question like I always call it the big question and that question is that is it a learning disorder or is it uh, learning differently what is that fine line that uh, differentiates the two what is it um, I, I'll put that to you uh, uh, Vasudha first so very good question because uh, you said learning disability disorder or is it a learning difference? So you didn't say learning difficulty, you said learning difference. So uh, it, bring, it says a lot. Now they do, children who have now today's topic being learning disabilities, uh, in, we have to understand that children with learning disabilities learn differently. Yes, definitely. But is it a disability? It is a disability in terms of what is the norm? And that many children are able to adapt to the kind of learning styles that are required of them in the regular school. And this group of children, they're not able to adapt to that particular learning style. In that manner, it is a disorder. Yeah, but if you can perceive that as a learning difference, then we don't have to advocate for inclusion quite as much. You see? So, but have, yes, uh, that is one view. But uh, if you go a little deeper and a little technically, if this particular learning disability which is a learning difference uh, has its roots even in the way that the way the child is formed in early childhood so you even before pre-numeracy and pre-letter pre-alphabet all of that you can see a little the individual differences or the invisible differences start showing up in the way they process their senses and their posture so everything about a child is about the physical development, which just then goes into the neurological development. So the health of a child and the mental ability of a child are greatly intertwined. So, the, so to answer a question, this learning difference in this learning disorder comes and happens in the way that the child is formed, even from birth right through till the child hits school. And then at school, it manifests itself. So did I answer your question? And if I can also add a little bit, uh, if, I, if I add the added parameter of learning difficulty versus learning disability, there also there's a huge difference. A learning difficulty is a bit of a broad framework. It's a broad definition in which a child who has a language issue or English as a second language, that child can have a learning difficulty. A child who has a physical this uh, problem, like he doesn't have, a, uh, you know, some other developmental issue, he can have a learning difficulty. But a learning disability, which used to appropriately be called specific learning disability, it used to be called the uh, previous DSM, it used to be called specific learning disability, that term is very appropriate, because overall, the child is intelligent. But the disability is about one specific area. So the difference between uh, the garden variety, what they call learning difficulty versus learning disability also has to be understood very clearly, not only by parents, parents and of course, teachers and other professionals in the education sector. Right. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. How about you, Nana? What, what are your views on that? Yeah, so pretty much I would uh, continue from where Dr. Vasudha has uh, said that uh, these are all uh, terms which have their own meanings. So uh, for, a, for a person, we take the meaning with the objective to work with the child. Okay, so I was told by Mrs. Krishnaburti in Spastic Society of Karnataka that as a special educator, we will give you the terms and we will give you all the information for you to understand what it is. But as a special educator, your objective is to take it forward and work around those challenges 
and not use them as labels. So disorder and difficulty and difference for absolutely they are different and they have their own meanings. But uh, I would say, I mean, pretty much, I mean, Dr. Vasuda has elaborated very nicely and she comes with that background. But uh, for a special educator, I feel it, it has to be used to uh, create the learning environment around the child and support the child, equip the family also to take it forward from there. Correct. And I think, uh, somewhere what uh, both of you uh, are meaning to say is that, you know, uh, it, it's just a term uh, used, but definitely whenever we talk about a child who is going through a learning disorder, that's one part of that child. There is a huge entire being which is there other than that small thing that is there, right? And, that, and all of us, like I was saying in the beginning also, that all of us have our own weaknesses and strengths. And we need to remember those, the other part of the, the you know, the strong part that is also there within that child. So uh, all of this, I want to ask uh, you, Naina, now that you were talking about it, how easy or how difficult is it as uh, a special educator that you're there now and uh, to identify that child or to feel that that child needs a little more than, uh, you know, uh, some other child. All right. So uh, let me give you uh, an idea of, you know, again, what I really feel I'm a little deviating from the question is how do I as a special educator identify comes in little later, but the, uh, the first responders are the family members and more so I would say the mother as well as the grandmother will be able to identify. So developmental delays in early childhood are, a, are an indicator and that's where it starts manifesting. Now coming to schools in the primary years, uh, although there is no formal diagnosis recommended till seven years now, correct me, Dr. Vasudha, if I'm wrong, but uh, basically it is the general observation by the teacher and it is also um, correlated with the observation at home. And that's where uh, it is it started to uh, you know, notice and then probably it leads to formal diagnosis and then um, it is uh, taken forward from there. So as a when when I when when a child comes in middle school or probably eighth eighth grade, it's the diagnosis is already done, and uh, we are on the path for uh, remedials also. So that's how you know the important years would be observation purposes, primary school, uh, interacting with the doctors and other you know, experts, six seventh, and then onwards it's uh, remediation and other support given to the child. So uh, uh, I wanted to ask Dr. Vasudha, so how early uh, on can you start, uh, you know, uh, detecting? Becoming aware. Mm. Yes, yes, mm. those symptoms. Of course, when they're babies, uh, like you said, that very early on, you can kind of know a little bit those signs are there. But where, what signs uh, can parents or the family or the teachers can look at and feel that, yes, definitely now that is, you know, where the child needs a little more support. So that word definitely we may not be able to substantiate. But then uh, the four lower senses uh, give you some indicators about whether the child is uh, making a certain, uh, you know, you have to go watch a little deeper or not. Okay, once the child walks, uh, even before that, we have to watch the milestones. Is the child moving seamlessly from one milestone to the other? That's very important. Okay, sometimes even the crawling, creeping is done differently by different children. There are uh, sometimes parents tell you that, oh, my child is very fast. He skipped the crawling and went, went directly to sitting or went directly to standing. Well, that is not necessarily ideal. Because the way a child crawls, some children move on their bums. Some children, you know, just roll. Even those can be small indicators of uh, early childhood, slightly symptomatic, not definite. But then you can have your antennas mm -hmm. up like that. And also you can encourage your children to go through those milestones in a, in, in a normal fashion. That is the child is only rolling. Try to 
not push, but nudge the child towards using his pores and so on, because those are the very foundational things for the neurological framework. Now, when the child is a little older, I'm going to read off this thing. Does the child move in an ungainly fashion? That's one indicator. Please wait. I'll just move the screen a little if I can. No, I'm not able to. That's fine. So is a child moving in an ungainly fashion? Does he appear reluctant to try new activities? Does he crash into things? And uh, is his energy level too much or too little? Uh, do you have to repeat instructions? Uh, then suppose he's doing something, does he quickly forget and then quickly move on to the other things? Or how much time on task is he displaying? And uh, no urgency. After the child grows a little older, however much you prod the child to go to the next thing, there's no sense of urgency. Concentration is less. And after speech comes, is there like, is he taking a little longer for clarity of speech? So these are things you can uh, watch out for. And the other things also are uh, how long, like uh, fiddling too much with buttons and uh, whether they're allowing them to be hugged. Are they coordinated? Are they able to understand the rules of any game? So these are waiting tolerance, sitting tolerance, all these things you can observe a little. And though there is a developmental range, you know, you can't say, okay, exactly at this time, the milestone will happen. But if it exceeds a certain time frame, for example, if something has to be done uh, at one year, one year, 1.3 is okay. But 1.6, you may want to see what is going on. So in early years, the development is clustered closer, like percentile ranks, you know, when, like that, you know, it is a little closer. So every month, every week, actually makes a difference. So these are some early signs. And also um, in with movement is very important. And then sense of balance. These two things you have to observe. How are the senses functioning? How are the postures, postural symptoms happening for the child at every stage? These are two very important things. And balance, these are very important. And a couple of other things, um, I don't know, um, also, this hearing and all that, the inner ear development, how is the body geography, gravity of the body versus the, body, you know, the surroundings. And I have a list of things you have to look out for, and that can come later in your, uh, during our discussion. So did I answer your question? But the actual, uh, the actual uh, uh, identifying and categorizing and diagnosing can happen only after the age of six, six and a half, and the child shows difficulty in sequencing even letters. The child is not able to say A, B, C, D, F, G, or uh, in a sequence. Uh, these are small indicators. So that diagnosis can happen only after the age of seven, like Naina said. Uh, so you can't label. Till then, you keep doing pre-referral intervention. A lot of activities, group activities, games, stepping games, rhythm games, all of those things, painting, art. Yeah. Then these are pre-referral interventions. Yeah. And I think the, uh, you know, when I was putting this uh, conversation into place and uh, I was in conversation with both of you, um, the reason why I got both of you together was that both of you come from two different worlds. Uh, you know, um, Naina, you are in a uh, world where, which is more of the inclusion and, uh, you know, you're working with children uh, at Bethany there, which it believes in that. And uh, Vasudha, Dr. Vasudha, you're with uh, an environment which you specially created uh, for, you know, children who need that uh, special attention. So uh, tell me, Nena, uh, uh, what do you think is, uh, you know, um, uh, the, the need for those children? Is it an inclusive environment or is a special environment, uh, you know, what is the need? So uh, I'll talk about the children which, uh, which, I, uh, which are in my department. So uh, we have children with mild to moderate uh, learning difficulties and it could be some other medical issues, um, could be uh, uh, epilepsy or similar. So for these children, again, as Dr. Vasudha is saying, uh, learning difficulties uh, may exist despite uh, having normal uh, IQ. So uh, what LEAP uh, created when in, in, in the program where I'm working is uh, basically we work in smaller groups. So uh, one is to maximum six children. And uh, so that way the educator is able to cater to the individual learning needs. 
So, um, and uh, these students uh, can interact more and uh, they have enough time for their uh, doubt clearances. Secondly, what we do is we do a lot of uh, curriculum adaptation at the child level. So uh, these are just a few things which these children benefit. So to answer your question, what do they need? So they need, I feel they need a lot of um, understanding and a lot of patience and someone to listen to and then handhold them in covering the curriculum requirements. So that is the need for students with mild to moderate difficulties. Now, um, special needs are different. I mean, they need um, altogether different approach where the academic um, milestones will have to be kind of adjusted to their uh, capabilities. No, but what I wanted to also know was that you're working in an inclusive environment. So you mm -hmm. have children uh, who have special needs uh, working with the uh, regular mainstream students, right? Yes. In the yes. classroom. So uh, how, how do you, uh, you know, um, how do you think that works? Does it work better for children who need that special mm -hmm. attention or do they need a special environment for them to grow better? So um, no doubt inclusion is the need. So uh, the kind of uh, setup that we have, that's an integrated setup where uh, academics is done with us, with the special educator, and they do get to interact and participate in the school-wide activities. So I am a staunch believer that uh, everyone benefits by inclusion, not only the children who have uh, different needs, but all the adults and the uh, children who are uh, observing that uh, a challenge is present. So um, to answer your question, definitely this is what is required and it is beneficial for the whole environment, I would say for the whole society. So inclusion is beneficial, definitely. How about you, Dr. Vasudha? Like, uh, um, uh, you know, what do you the same feel question, about? Yeah. So of the disabilities, I think to some extent, children with learning disabilities are at a slight disadvantage because um, they often get branded as lazy, unmotivated because in everything else, they are so bright. Their mm -hmm. IQ is bright, they process fast, they're interested in so many things, they're artistic, they play games, they are very, very uh, smart and then mischievous, everything. But when it comes to reading and, you know, or math or something, they are extremely, um, they need, they are not, they're not performers. So very often they get labeled. First, first point, and they get labeled and they get really abused. Uh, parents beat them up, parents give them punishment for not studying, for not being motivated because your primary currency in childhood is marks and studies, sadly. So uh, right there, there is this, this difficulty. Now this lack of empathy extends to schools. Only very recently, even now we find schools and teachers very insensitive to uh, any learning problem. They always call them backbenchers or the talk in the staff room doesn't have any empathy or any uh, kindness or compassion when it comes to children with difficulties. They are just like, okay, this child I have to deal with. So this is the reality. Okay. And, um, and also awareness is not all pervasive. There are the tier one schools and maybe some of the tier two schools who have awareness, but a lot of teachers and not even the administrators don't have awareness of this. This being the case, I have personally uh, seen children uh, who come to our school and they, have, they say they like studies. What they say, what they show is very different from their experience. They don't like to say, I don't like studies. Yeah, yeah, I like to you go to school. You like school? Is it difficult? No, no, no. I like school. This is how they, they talk. But I, I know, I never forget the story of this child in our school. And it's been many years since he left and he's grown up. He said his teachers... Uh, paraded him with a zero single digit marks. They stuck it on his back and his front and they paraded him in the school because um, he wa they wanted to teach him a lesson. Again, coming from the paradigm that he's not motivated. Okay, Th these are the cruelties that have happened. Now, I, of course, uh, inclusion is a right, is a basic right of every child. But how inclusion? Yeah, how do you do this inclusion is the crux of the matter. Are we all on the same page? 
are we all trained do we go from do we, does this whole belief in inclusion how it's to be done percolated from the administrator right down to the custodial staff up to the bus driver so these are the pivotal questions that we have to ask ourselves yes if you have to do inclusion do it right do not let the child stand out like a sore thumb in the midst of an inclusive environment which is far worse it only reinforces the fact that he is not like everybody else that he his self esteem is severely kicked around so this is my point while i am um, very pro inclusion i do not wish to romanticize that concept and if you are going to do inclusion please do it with a complete sensitivity and train every member of that school system to receive these children who have differences having said that second is there a role of special special schools in this whole learning disability spectrum yes if a child is able to go to an inclusive receiving empathetic school and also get services in a special school that is the ideal combination if he can get remedial help for his specific problems can also get help in how to do his homework so that he can go to school and not be embarrassed and also have a holistic approach through movement art and other activities so that his entire skill set is enhanced and lifted up for his future development and get his ot so this combination would be ideal if a regular school is able to provide these services within its premises well and good but i i don't know about bethany but i have not come across too many schools who are able to invest uh, or who are able to do that in an ideal manner but i have come across many situations where the child goes for remedial intervention some ot some joy therapy that we call joy therapy in another setup and combine these two experiences then his school regular school experience becomes much better also second part if he is able to stay in a special school for some years and get all the scaffolding that he needs and then goes into the inclusive environment that also helps so yes. so there somewhere like if he has been in a in a special environment and he gets his confidence and his morale up you know and he realizes what other strengths he's got because he's always been pointed out you know that this is the lacking right and that becomes so overpowering in his mind that the child uh, doesn't identify his other strengths whereas there are so many other strengths inside that child so if he's in an environment where those strengths are being uh, you know the focus and i think that would probably give him confidence and like you said and then move to an inclusion like nena said i think a combination of both would really work wonders uh, for the child yeah and may i add, just go ahead please one example dr vasuda uh, has uh, said that if a child can get all the required uh, support and be part of a school so i'll just give an example that in bethany one of our students uh, who was with my department uh, he uh, participated in the bethany musical and he became a star you know every two years bethany conducts a musical and it's pretty famous it's done at a very large scale so uh, uh, what uh, dr vasuda was saying that uh, give a holistic experience allow the child to get exposure get training participate with other children in everything that the child can participate and wants to participate so that is the um, uh, idea that bethany i mean we are trying we are we believe in it so so when uh, dr vasuda said that that will be good so just wanted to share that uh, it is Uh, it is possible because it's happening uh, in in uh, Bethany here. So children do participate in uh, all the activities, and they are picked up on their strength. So, and I just want to bring out one more thing. When we say inclusion, it is also inclusion of uh, all the students who come from different backgrounds. So, uh, so it's not only the learning difficulties; it is also could be uh, um, first generation English speakers. It could be economically challenged. so and um, while in urban settings we do not see uh, girls being excluded but it it is very much existing in lower categories and i have seen examples that you know construction laborers family uh, the girl would be at home and the boy would go to a school so i had gone and asked how come they are of the same age and you have selected the boy to go to school because during the day i wouldn't see the boy so i went and asked she said he goes to school and she helps me so uh, inclusion 
uh, is also of this kind. So that's the ideal uh, definition of inclusion, is what I wanted to say. Absolutely. So, so uh, just want to add something, Sapna, if I might. Please, please go ahead. So uh, we do a uh, we do a course, a modular course on tra training regular schools for inclusion. In this, what we have a, an approach which seems to have worked because addressing the fear. So we do a step-by-step -step approach, doing uh, uh, talking to the administrative staff, the principals, all of them, giving them awareness, giving uh, simulated activities, uh, all of that. Then we talk about talk to the regular school parents because they are the ones who think this is contagious you know so so therefore we have to talk to regular parents and say that you know if you you're going to have children who have differences we will be adapting the curriculum modifying and accommodating and, and then telling the regular children having a meeting with them and saying that some just like our fingers are different and we have several activities for that and uh, saying there are some of us who will be different and then for us to make this whole experience beautiful and they add variety to our lives and then talking to the parents of the children who have learning problems and the children themselves because each and the custodial staff everybody gets if a school is getting ready for inclusion inputs have to go to all these groups so that they are ready to receive this and so we conduct a program uh, advising schools on how to go about inclusion that will be effective I think that's a beautiful, uh, I think, a beautiful program to, uh, you know, I think all schools should follow that because uh, nothing like uh, accepting everybody the way they are because th that's, that's the most beautiful creation that is there, right? Yes. So uh, when we talk about this, uh, both of you stressed on, you know, different uh, experiences with children. So when children mm -hmm. are detected, uh, you know, or diagnosed on a disorder, I'm sure that the child uh, understands and also goes through a lot of, uh, you know, a social, emotional, and even some mental, uh, uh, you know, needs that he needs uh, at that time, the support for all of that also. So how can, you know, families or educators give him that kind of an environment? What all can we provide for him to, you know, not get so uh, affected by those kind of experiences that he has? I'll go so, first. Yes. Yes, please. Yes. So uh, I've since I started working with uh, children. So what I always felt was that the mother is the most important uh, source of energy. She's the first responder and the person who gets the most uh, flack for everything. You know, I mean, even if a child gets glasses, the mother is asked, "How come did you not feed the child uh, correctly?" So, uh, yes, the child goes through a lot, but the mother is the person who understands it much before it comes out in the open. And what I feel is uh, we need, we as a society, we as educators, we need to uh, give that strength to the person who can make a difference. She, if we empower the mother, uh, give her all the support, just listen to the mother, and handheld her uh, during those uh, difficult days. And she will need support forever. I mean, she always will face, um, whenever the milestone is not met, then the challenge is there. You know, it's, it's not that diagnosis is out and then we accept it and then it's over. No, it doesn't happen like that. So I feel uh, one, the mother has to be given all the support. aware of her strengths that that we can do as uh, educators yeah. how about you dr vasudha what what do you have to is it, the question is about the setting setting for the what kind of environment no i i i what i meant yes of course the setting the environment because all of what the child goes through definitely affects the child's uh, you know uh, entire uh, being and his social emotional and his mental health is definitely being uh, you know touched upon so how can we make sure that you know he gets an environment which helps him and not let that affect him much yeah very important nurturing environment is what is very important um, also to keep showing children success experiences because they have their share of not successful experiences when it comes to academics so we have to have a very balanced curriculum for them in which they have 
many, many avenues for success so that their self-confidence doesn't take a beating. Um, so uh, in a school, so this kind of preparation definitely gives you a nurturing environment. Let's talk about home. There are homes which are academically very focused and they put, especially in the South, you find a lot of very Marx-oriented thinking and things you do. I do come across a lot of that. And even schools which are very Marx-oriented. Now, if the home can just ease up a little, and uh, like the Tare Zamipar was a beautiful demonstration of that whole thing. You know, the parents can be educated and said that it's okay. The, the marks and this does not determine who is going to be. There's a lot of lateral thinking and so much more to him than that. If the home environment can be chilled, children with any disability they absorb stress like anything, whether it's autism, whether it's learning problems, attention, stress is what makes them very anxious and underperformers. This goes for you and me. Yes. If somebody's breathing down my neck here, I really won't be able to talk, you know, and somebody's observing me, I'd be like, oh God, what's happening here? So that's why we're all afraid of tests. We don't perform well under anxiety and stress. So if we can just chill and have a certain experience for the child, which is, yes, you have a little difficulty in school, but it's also our fault that school is so important. You know, I'm sure you would do much better if there wasn't uh, thing. So if we can give a children environment, non-judgmental environment, non-reactive environment. Suppose a child comes up with a test result, which is in single digit. And if the mother can say, oh, but you did all this right. I like your handwriting. Look for something to say a nice thing about. And they say, okay, this is a little bit of a problem with this. Let's see what we can do. And there's always a next time and a next time and a next time. Life is full of chances. Second chances, third chances, 25th chances. So to just chill, home environment has to be like that. And if some neighbor or relative comes and asks, how come you, got, uh, you didn't pass in all the subjects? For the mother to put her hand around the shoulder of the child and say that, you know what? That's not even important. Have you seen him draw? To just quickly... <laughs> bring him out and say, have you ever seen him bake a cake with me? My God is amazing to just completely move and make the child feel very supported. That's very important. In school, to have his uh, classmates understand this child is struggling with something. So therefore, tell his neighbors and best friends, please help him at every juncture. Reduce a competitive environment in the classroom and say, support working in teams is far more effective than working against one another. And to have his neighbor saying always when he has a problem, I, you are his friend, uh, classroom helper or something like that and give a nice designation and have helpers for him. And when you form cooperative groups, put him with a group that is sensitive, you know, and so on. So you create a very nurturing environment and always have uh, a variety of activities like in, in Waldorf education, they have sculpting, they have carpentry, they have a lot of artistic activities, dance, and the child will excel, excel in most of them and copper rod activities. A lot of, uh, so they will, so to include the child in many of these, like Naina was saying, the music, to make sure he has a share of success stories. I would say that's very important. In, no matter what setting you're going to put the child in. Absolutely. And I think that's where somewhere that multimodal teaching really needs to come in uh, as a universal teaching, uh, uh, you know, platform. I think that uh, will help every child express freely without being judged because no, I mean, everybody cannot be the same in math, everybody and why? I think everybody has their own skills, everybody has their own talents and they need their own time to shine. So I think it's uh, imperative that we as educators, uh, I think, create that environment in schools where children can, you know, express freely whatever their skills are and yeah. we can, you know, move them up from there on and not just because we have a ladder that we want them to climb. So yes. they, they can, you know, explore things on their own. Yeah, that famous cartoon, Sapna, I was trying to search for it, maybe we can find it later, in which if you ask a fish to swim and a bird to, uh, you know, all the, you know, you must have seen that cartoon, right? Uh, asking a, a fish to fly and a bird to swim and this to happen, that to happen, how will they shine? It's something like that. Whatever comes naturally to the child, let him exhibit that organically and then you know we also expect from him to grow in other areas absolutely and i'll I, try I to send you that cartoon yeah please do 
And in fact, yeah. I was listening to a, a, a person uh, the other day and uh, he's about now 20 years or something. And he was talking that he was diagnosed at ADHD, right? And he said, the moment I got that tag, the moment I got that, I was like, you know, if the teachers looked at me differently, my friends started looking at me differently. And, uh, and there were times when I had things like this in my mind. It was just that I couldn't write it down as fast because I was ahead of my class at times. My, uh, you know, peers were still trying to learn it and I would have grasped that concept. But it was just that I could not put it on paper. And um, that became so much bigger. And slowly he talked about how a teacher helped him realize that this was a strength. And that was a small weakness that was there, but this was the bigger strength that he needed to focus on. So I think that's all that that's all you know about it. That we need to shine the light on the other strengths that the child has in him. Yeah. So one uh, set of videos. Uh, have you heard of this, Sapna? Um, Richard Lavoie's Fat City. How difficult can this be? Have you watched it? It's not very new. It's old. Um, this sensitizes you very effectively to whole, the whole learning disability uh, uh, topic. It's called Fat City Video and it's called uh, How Difficult Can This Be? So he has, uh, it's based on simulation, he has his room full of very highly achieving people and he puts them through one activity and the other and he's just like a school teacher could be. And, uh, and for them, it just blows their mind, you know. And uh, if this video alone can be shown to, to teachers and to parents, they'll get it. They just get it. Right. Yeah. So, Nena, coming so, to you in your school, yeah. do you, uh, like when, when you are talking about an inclusive environment, so your uh, children from the mainstream, do they go through some uh, process like that where they are taught to be more empathetic towards children who are needing a little support? Uh the thing here is, I mean, in Bethany, the culture is uh, quite open. The management, starting from the management and coming down to the uh, to the support staff. So it's been a culture in Bethany to really embrace inclusion. Bethany was founded on a story of Mrs. Minon David. So she lost her two sons and Bethany institutions came into being. So, well, not specifically that we have to, uh, you know, I mean, but what I have noticed is because it has been a tradition here, it uh, also children are very, very accepting. So if, if, if you leave the children alone, I mean, things should happen automatically. I feel it's the adults who bring in their biases and uh, then it all gets disturbed. So I've seen very good um, friendships forming and they are such source of strength for each other and they help each other. They're very sensitive about each other's different challenges. So, you know, they pitch in where it is required. So, I mean, I feel it's the culture which is the biggest teacher, biggest uh, curriculum here that um, it should work. I mean, we adults have to tone down a bit in our uh, uh, influence. On the children. So in fact, uh, Nana, you are working uh, a lot with uh, children on ADHD, right? Yes. So tell tell us a little bit about that. How, how easy or how difficult is it to detect children on ADHD? Well, it, uh, it is, uh, as Dr. Vasudha would say, the milestone would start giving indicators early on and uh, the milestones are pretty saturated in the early years. But it is, uh, it becomes quite obvious when the academics becomes, uh, I mean, it's, it's a big thing when it's in sixth and seventh, if you come to those grades, then it becomes very uh, obvious that the child is struggling. So um, it is obvious children with ADHD uh, primarily do not like to write. And there the struggle becomes so big when the curriculum is running and galloping fast and here the writing challenges take over. So it is, um, it is obvious, it becomes very clear that the challenge is here. Ask the child orally and like that it will come out. The memory is excellent, presentation skills are amazing, communication, language, confidence, everything is in place. 
but get the child to put down in the notebook that's an absolute no no so uh, there are ways how we support such a child when everything else is going gold and the uh, challenges in one particular area so you know i mean we we give some accommodations and of course support the child and understand that this is one area where uh, he doesn't want to do he cannot do so yeah so there are ways to work around the situation so do children who are on adhd uh, also encounter some learning uh, disorders also because uh, yeah so they do they do because most of the times one uh, challenge is accompanied with the other and if you see the percentage of children with learning difficulties and adhd is higher most of the children have at least two and uh, third angle to the situation is come to the teenage and then the socio emotional element also kicks in so it becomes very difficult and you know i mean friendships are being formed uh, sometimes friendships are not being formed and then there is social exclusion it's all unintended but you know i mean when the communication doesn't happen then it just doesn't gel enough so that is the age where most of other problems come out um sleep disorders anxiety um, low self esteem uh, anger management issues along with adhd and could be dyslexia it could be it could be so many things uh, coming out at the same time correct and apparently uh, uh, like there are pharma therapies also uh yes. for uh, uh, the disorder but i think uh, uh, generally people prefer the alternative interventions more than uh, uh, the medication is that true is that what it is like yes. um i mean i wouldn't go into the medical part of it but yes what you're saying is correct there are options available and there is resistance amongst parents and each side has its own uh, justification but yes um, i mean it is uh, it's between the the psychiatrist and the and the parents who who have to come to a conclusion that this is how it's going to be and what is the benefit of uh, going the medication way and you do have i mean uh, a, a lot of alternative interventions you have the body based uh, activities yes. that you do yes. the children yes. yoga physical training and Absolutely. you have the cognitive behavior therapy and yes. i i think there is so much that you work with right the play therapy yes yes there's so much so again then that's where the mother's role comes into play you know i mean there is so much that one person can do and should do and you would see that many special educators are first mothers of special needs children you know i mean there's that's where their journey starts you know they equip themselves uh, to help their own child and that's where uh, it begins i know so many of my colleagues who have come into this field out of need and uh, what could be better than that because a mother can do so much because you know those uh, school hours are very short and so much can be done outside school hours and that's where if the action is good it will benefit in the school hours so there is there are so many things and you need support round the clock 24 by 7 if you are taking effort you know there's diet there's exercise uh, meditation yoga play sports so much uh, sleep sleep management and then support of the family you know all these things make a huge difference and it has to be continuous you know day in day out it has to be then uh, organizational skills have to be worked upon and life skills have to be imparted so you know i mean that it is a lot of work it is a lot of work and it is possible it is possible to make a difference absolutely dr vasudha would you want to add something to it yeah uh, when you talk about attention deficit disorder uh, it is if you visualize somebody is bursting out of their soul so they can't be contained you're trying to take somebody who's like uh bursting and then trying to fit them into some tight clothes it's like this that is the whole experience of the child like he's just bursting but we are putting him into tight clothes that's it the other model of looking into this uh, understanding add adhd versus 
a normal processing is this laser beam attention model i don't know can you see this so this is the normal attention mod uh, paradigm this one in which suppose as a circle we have a foreground and a background let me just explain it yeah so all our learning happens from the foreground okay and the background is there like i have something happening but this is my foreground hmm? uh, for a child with attention deficit disorder apparently everything becomes a foreground mm -hmm. so if there is a bird chirping outside in the tree then his full that becomes his foreground and then he keeps shifting from one foreground to the other which then comes in the way of his absorbing too much from any one foreground so the shifting foreground so um, that is one way people look at attention deficit disorder and sometimes uh, this very shifting of foregrounds can become the cause of the learning difficulties one secondly also if there, there is a lot of coordination problems motor problems which then learn, which again results in lack of coordination eye hand coordination hearing um, and hearing eye hand all coordination all of those result in learning problems so a classroom setup for a child with attention deficit disorder has to keep all these traits in mind so the number of visuals in the class how you present uh the subject how do you give him like when you ask him to read to cover less rest of the lesson keep shifting the 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 shield and then you know filtering and things like that there are many strategies to get this attention deficit child to focus but definitely a lot of this ot a uh, lot of massages lot of wrapping him up in heavy blankets those many strategies are there which uh, help attention deficit disorder but i think sometimes it's a lifelong disorder and uh, this add and adhd there's a lot of difference some children who have attention deficit disorder but not their hyperactivity and they go undetected and within their heads it's shifting and all but because you're sitting in one place and not hyperactive for us to understand this is what is going on with them becomes difficult but they are learning also difficulty comes from a certain lack of uh, being in that space so there is a diagnostic so just this might many parents come and tell you romba hyper he is very hyper madam that's what they tell you that is not actually add you have to go through a clinical uh, test in order to determine because it is defi definitely a neurochemical uh, disorder in which there is a chemical imbalance so therefore going through that test going for impulsivity reflexes all of those things and then coming out with a clear diagnosis of attention deficit disorder is very very important so that you can structure instruction and as far as medication goes in the us medic this became a political uh, debate about uh, giving medication to children who are even slightly restless and making your life easier this is a huge controversy here the same uh, they have a medicine called atentrol which doctors do prescribe uh, and it comes if you give it for a uh, some eight years have some stunt, stunting effect there are some side effects to these medicines but as long as the child is on medication then it but it's not a lifelong change so even if you're giving medicine to supplement it with enough therapeutic measures to uh, very organic not like therapy therapy but if you're doing movement do it in the form of a dance you know don't do therapy as in therapy but integrate it with an experiential thing that makes it easier for children so yes of course learning disabilities and add uh, this comorbid this coexist many times it's very common somewhere i feel uh, like we are talking about it and it's so nice to hear your views both of you and i'm learning so much here and i just think that you know when teachers in the mainstream school um you know uh, we do have a little bit of the special education program in bed but it is so minuscule compared to when it comes for a teacher to come face to face with a child who needs help right mm -hmm. and for that teacher to understand what kind of help that child needs and what is going to be good for him what should i do so that i can help him best don't you think we are at a point where our uh, teacher training needs to be upgraded and incorporate more of the special education uh, you know make it mandatory somewhere so that you know mm -hmm. we we are able to help the child um, you know in a better way 
without yeah. doubt without doubt there is no doubt going forward i i feel it's only going to get better because the awareness is definitely increasing whether it's increasing enough or not uh, we can leave that aside but uh, going forward if you see awareness is on the rise and uh, teacher training is the way to bring in some form of inclusion first is to educate the teacher as i would say educate the mother so you know the main people in both the environments are aware and equipped to go forward you know in the right way no what i meant was like it should become like a mandatory like if you're qualified as a teacher you need to have this much of at least yeah. uh, basic special education knowledge for you to be oh, a teacher yeah, yeah. so uh, then go ahead sorry no no go ahead i'm done i'm done so the new uh, education policy is very encouraging they have made the teacher training a four year professional course Right. So if that comes in, then this uh, whatever you're talking about will definitely happen. And um, anything you read about special education doesn't prepare you actually to work with children. You need to have that hands-on and that internship in order for it to. So if if you, uh, they must make it at least a, a year-long inclusion in their B.Ed program. It's not enough, like you say, what they're doing. Or they should make it mandatory. Every school should necessitate that every teacher goes in for a training. if the okay. ba doesn't have it then at least a school should insist or have in school training programs uh for this whole thing so very basic uh, like what a child needs as learning uh, requirements that also teachers don't know and uh, sapna one thing i feel so strongly is every teacher should know and parents should know about the stages of child development what happens to a child at every stage of his development and what should be done at every stage whether it's physically neurologically emotionally psychologically if this has to be like a chart hanging in your home everywhere so that you you know what to teach you know what to expect and you're not running away with it if this knowledge is not there you're always going to be confused about what to teach and what is not then and i would strongly recommend waldorf education because it comes up with these lower senses middle senses and higher senses and drives home the importance of the development of rhythm of the life force of a uh, sense of balance sense of touch all of these and the impact on all kinds of development and it lasts throughout your life so this this knowledge is very yeah. Uh, i think crucial to all teacher teaching programs absolutely i think uh, it's been so insightful and uh, uh, i mean i've really enjoyed our conversation i've learned so much and i'm sure our viewers also have learned a lot uh, before we leave uh, any uh, uh, few words for our viewers uh, nena how about you just a message yeah. to everyone just a message uh, uh my fo- whole focus is on the mother all the time and i want to i want to just say that the mothers should be empowered and given all the support and uh, work with hope always i mean we always need to have hope and there's a person in there there's a child it's not only academics and the child is a gift of nature a gift of god so it's perfect so i mean just accept that's the message simple message yeah. how about you vasudha yeah so uh, my message may be slightly technical if that's all right um, so in yeah. order for us uh, to understand uh, when a child has a learning problem or you want to prepare a child for schooling and you see certain lags a few points that they can focus on yeah. one spatial orientation how your uh, body the directionality all of that um laterality the both sides of the brain using that um dominance establish clearly whether you the child is right handed or left handed soon sooner than later by three perhaps um doing a lot of midline barrier crossing activities which means uh, across front and back top and bottom having a lot of those activities so the child can physically develop uh, rhythm having a proper rhythm to the day you know uh, for as long as possible eating hours should be fixed sleeping hours eat everything should be fixed so the child has this coordination is intact for the child and also having rhythmic activities in the school and at home just clapping activities rhythm stepping activities stomping activities those are very important to have direction and goal as part of your whole curriculum 
and to make sure that the child can uh, understand 3D versus 2D processing. So these are a few points that a teacher should remember and to incorporate into the curriculum so that it's a pre-referral intervention for learning disabilities. And also there are very good programs called extra lesson, take time. These programs, if the teachers can go and prepare themselves, it very seamlessly, they can integrate this into their classroom teaching. So it uh, applies to all the children in the classroom. Yeah. So. Beautiful. I mean, uh, I could just sit there and just listen to the two of you. And you. Uh, I wish we could just go on, but maybe we'll do it another time. We'll get you back in and... Uh, um, you know, get your experiences here. And in the end, I, I really want to thank you both for taking time out and to share this knowledge with us. And uh, all I can just say and add to what you all contributed is that I think uh, that disorder, what we call, is just a small part of the entire child's personality. Yes. There's so much more within that child that we need to focus on. And if we keep focusing on those trends, I'm sure we are going to create a better world for those children. Also. Yes, certainly. Kindness is very important. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So you. Much. It was an absolute pleasure, and I hope people are benefited by this. I'm, I'm hopeful too. And let's let's uh, keep this going. And. Uh, Thank you so much once again. Thank nice meeting you, Naina. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you, Dr. Vasudha. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. Thank you. Bye. Thank Bye. You. Bye. 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 Bye.